Well, welcome back to Two Pastors and a Mic. My name is Corey. And I'm Shanik. And we are so glad that you tune in each and every week. We hope and ask that you leave a review if you haven't already. And if you can't leave a review because you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, socially share it on your social media account. I don't yeah. know why I said socially share it, but we're That's just okay. going to go That works. It, it yeah. works. And yeah, we would love for your friends to be able to to tune in and it'd be a great opportunity for you to have some conversations around even what we're saying with your circle of friends. And so I think that'd be great. For sure. This week's question of the week is how old were you when you had your first celebrity crush and who is it? So I had to think about this and I'm going to throw out two names because I don't exactly know which one was first, but it was probably around 12, 13 years old. Very impressionable age. I will say that before I say these names. And the first one that instantly came to mind was Pamela Anderson, Baywatch. <laughs> I mean, mm, again, I, wonder I was impressionable. Yeah. <laughs> and if you know who that is, yeah, there, there's no mean? wonder Our why it's a 13-year-old boy's celebrity crush. But at that same time, like we used to get like, we never had cable, but we would get sometimes like scrambled, like, Whoa. MTV oh, and stuff, scrambled MTV and huh? stuff like that. And so I remember watching this show, and we get and sometimes it came in clear, and I can't even tell you what the name of the show was, but it was hosted by this chick named Carmen Electra. Oh and man, I just thought she Carmen. was drop dead gorgeous. So are those you sure? are two. <laughs> I'll say There's so many things I want to say right now. <laughs> I know I can just see Chris Crawford dying if he's listening. Oh my to this. gosh! So was it scrambled? MTV or was it something else that scrambled? No, it was Carmen MTV. Electra? No, it was MTV with Carmen <laughs> Electra. And and yeah, so there's been a there's been several. A little bit later on, probably 16, 17 year old uh me was in love with Jennifer Love Hewitt. Mm-hmm. I know um, what you did last summer. Yep. And just she's just in some great movies around that time frame, had that girl next door look, like <laughs> you know? And so um yeah, very beautiful. And then I'm just going to go well, ahead and go just, there today. You just keep going. We said one. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I can stop. You're feeling good. You no. want to hear the one yeah. I have for today? Oh, yeah. So like over the last... Currently? Currently, yeah. Probably... Well, not just currently. Probably the last 10 years, um, my celebrity crush has been Selma Hayek. Oh, okay. Yep. Look at you. Little mamacita. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh my so the, yeah that's me what about you let's let's Man. stop talking about me my first uh celebrity crush was jordana brewster don't even know who that is fast and the furious oh. dom's sister yep so not his girlfriend dom's sister huge crush on her that could have been your first one i feel like i mean fast and furious maybe... came out 20 something years ago i was no probably, way. i was 13 oh yeah. my gosh we're gonna have to fact check that but 20 something years ago. I think the I think the Fast and the Fur- Furious 1 came out in 2001. Are you looking it up right I now? I am going to look up. You okay. keep going. Uh my other early on crush was probably Kira Knightley. I had a big crush on Kira Knightley, but I don't remember how old I was. Young. I don't even remember what movie it was. I just remember being fond of her. I, I would say that my Oh my gosh, dude. Can I just stop you for a second? Yeah. The first Fast and the Furious movie came out 2001. Yeah. 20 years ago. 20 years ago. That is insane. I feel like it came out like, I mean, they keep on coming out with movies year after year after year. What are they up to? Nine? Nine or 10. I know they have, uh, I think 10's coming out this year and 11's coming out next year. That is insane. But 20 years ago, bro. So, okay. I told you I was young. Yeah. Like 13. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. My current celebrity crush is Sofia Vergara. Oh, yeah. A little modern family. (laughs) Just always had a thing for Puerto Rican girls. And then I married a completely <laughs> European white chick. So yeah, that's okay. 
She's foreign. <laughs> <laughs> Are we even going to get into oh, this week's episode? Man, that question. I Man, that's crazy. All right. It takes you back. It does take you back. Well, wow. we are in part three of things Christians should stop saying. Week one, if you missed it, I don't even remember what was week one. Yeah, I'll, I'll pray about it. I'll, I'll pray I'll about it. I'll be praying. Yep. Week two, it was, go ahead. Oh, man, I don't know. why You, you just threw me under week the bus two right was, now. I feel God calling me. Or oh, yeah. Using the whole God called me card. Right. This week, things Christians should stop saying, and you hear it all the time. You see it on social media everywhere. The phrase, God is in control. Yep. Why is this a pet peeve of yours? And why should Christians stop saying God is in control? Well, it's a pet peeve of mine. And I think Christians should stop saying it because this is one of those things where a lot of people, um, I would say, uh, that are not Christian, when they hear us say God is in control, what they hear, even though if it's not what we mean, what they hear is God is in control of everything. Mm-hmm. Like if I walk out this door and walk outside and set it to my office, God is in control of that. Like, and they use this idea of God is sovereign, which we can talk about that in a minute. But to say God is sovereign is to say he's in control of every single aspect of every person's life at every single moment. And so when non-Christians hear that God is in control, then the logical argument for them then is, okay, so if God is in control of everything, so is he in control of when someone gets raped, abused, molested, murdered? And then if he is in ultimate control over everything, then why doesn't he stop it? Mm -hmm. And so we have to think about what we're saying when we say God is in control, because sometimes that's just our go-to phrase when we don't understand something that has happened. Yeah. Why? You know, well, it's back to that, you know, you know, there's a lot of mystery in God. You know, God's a mysterious God. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, even though the context of that isn't (laughs) around what people go through. Um, His context in that is is, around what? Is around mercy. Mercy. Yeah. And showing mercy. And his mercy doesn't look like our mercy. We, we want justice and retribution and mm-hmm. God's ways are higher than that. His thoughts are higher than that He's towards people. He is so merciful and forgiving. And, and that's what that means. But this idea of man, God is in control. It messes with people's minds in a way. And it, I think it shares um, and conveys that, man, we don't necessarily have a loving God and a loving father that we claim to have when he's in control of all these bad things. Cause if he's in, if he's in control of it, the, their question is, well, why doesn't he stop it? Yeah. And that's a, I'm glad you said that because the reality is, is it is a phrase that Christians use because they don't know what to say or they themselves are confused on it. And so they just throw out this Christian cliche that's not even in the scriptures. You have no scripture reference for it. In fact, the opposite is true when you look at scripture because he gave humanity dominion over the earth. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But if God is in control, then he's a monster because there are so many things that happen that we look at and go, that is pure evil. And so then going back to the, one of the foundation, uh, one of the arguments in early Christian leadership is, did God create evil? And that's a different conversation at a different time. But the reality is, is when we say God is in control, what we really are saying is I don't have to take responsibility for my actions Mm. because he's just in control. And ultimately God gets blamed for things he doesn't do. If God is in control, then he's in control of the kid that walks into his school and shoots up a bunch of kids. And that's a monster. 
the reality is, is that kid was in control of that situation and he abused his power. And so many people in the Christian world, again, we, we should stop saying it because if you don't have an answer for a question that's being said, you have to get comfortable with saying, I don't know. Or, hey, I'll look into that this week and we can reconvene in a later, later time and talk about it. But throwing out the phrase and statement, God is in control, just needs to be stopped altogether because ultimately he's not. So let's talk a little bit about what God being sovereign and God being in control and the difference in that. Right. Yeah. And and I do want to say too, and I love what you just said, as far as like having something else like in your arsenal, like having different language that you can encourage or comfort someone when maybe they're going through something and it's not, well, you know, God was in control and it's like, well, no, God wasn't in control of my son dying. God wasn't in control of my sister, you know, getting abused and raped. No, God's not in control of that. He's the author of life. Mm-hmm. He's not the author of death. And so just having different things you can share in your arsenal would be great. Just like what I just said. Yeah. And, or just empathy. Yeah. And just having empathy with where, what, where people are at and what they're going through and just relating with their struggles and their pain. And I think more than anything, presence matters more than what you say. And so if you just say it because you don't have anything else to say, then just stop saying stuff. Yeah. <laughs> just be there. And I've learned that as a pastor. Sometimes my presence is more important than anything that I'll ever say to try to bring comfort or try to bring understanding. Because sometimes, I mean, let's just face it. We do face uh, situations in our life where we don't have all the answers. We don't know why we go through what we go through. And, and, and so we have to just stop coming up with things that, maybe make sense to us or might bring up us comfort when it might not bring someone else comfort when they don't have an understanding that you do, mm-hmm. especially in the Christian world. And this whole idea of like God's sovereignty, and I, I'll kind of explain it like this. And cause I know there's probably some people listening like, man, I can't believe pastors are saying God's not in control, but maybe hear this instead. Okay. If we believe that God is not in control because he's not in control of everything, that's one thing, but we're not saying that God is not in charge. And so it's different to say, you know what, God is in charge, but he's not in control. And I'll use an illustration that I've heard before, just in retrospect to my house and where I live. Like, I am in charge of my property, my house, you know, what what mostly happens there, but not what everything happens there, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so, like if, you know, whatever, a squirrel comes through and starts chewing on like gets in my attic or something and starts chewing on some drywall. I don't know. I'm just pulling this stuff out of thin air. (laughs) And if it starts like, you know, chewing up the ceiling or something, and then that weakens the drywall and my kids are laying in their bed and their drywall lands on them. Like, okay, I I was in charge of everything, but I'm not in control of everything. I didn't control what happened in that situation to stop that instant. Now, am I in charge? Can I come in and make a difference? Rectify, rectify things. Can I, what did I just say? You're smirking at me. No, I did not. That's what you wanted to hear. I'm going to listen to this back later. That is not what I said, but your little smirk made me think, man, did I say something a little wrong? And I might have, but does that make sense? Like I'm in charge, but I'm, I'm, I'm not in control of everything. Yeah. You know, my kids, I'm in control. What happens? My kids might be out on their bike and you know, they, they go over the hill or like Malachi would did when he had that first dirt bike of his and he was running around. He didn't know how to put on the brakes. So he ran right into our bushes, into our house. Like I, I wasn't in control of that. He was in control of the steering wheel, not me. Now I was in charge of the place. And so I had to come in, bring aid, healing, 
I don't even know. I don't think we took him to the hospital. I don't think he was hurt that bad to the emergency room. I think he was fine. Um, but I had to come in after the fact, you know what I mean? And then set some guidelines, but I'm not in control of everything that happens on my lot mm -hmm. at home. Yeah. And in God's sovereignty, he puts us in control because whoever is in control is responsible. And so we, we need to start. This is why we believe so much in the kingdom of God being present now and that the sons and daughters awaken to this because the world is waiting for the sons and daughters to take responsibility for the chaos on the earth and change it. God is not a puppet master in the sky forcing us to do certain things, believe certain things. In Genesis, he gave Adam dominion over the garden, and he gives you and I dominion over our specific areas of influence to bring change in those specific areas. And so, yes, we do not believe that God is in control because if that is true, he's a monster. I believe that God gives us the power to bring change to the earth because ultimately God gets blamed for things that people do. And so, man, I love that you brought up so many illustrations. I've heard it. I think that we're going to hit this again in our rapid fire edition in a couple weeks of things Christians should stop saying. But you hear all the time at different funerals and whatnot, people will talk about how God takes somebody or God took my son too soon or whatever around death. But God's not the author of death. He receives people home, but he doesn't take people home. And sometimes God gets blamed for certain accidents that, that end up having death involved in it. I'm like, oh, God just allowed this to happen or God did that. And it's like, no, somebody abused their power and stepped in and took somebody away from you in this life. And so really, ultimately, it's what we're trying to tell you is think a little bit more be before you say stuff. Let's remove the Christian cliches from our vocabulary because it's not helpful to anybody when we peel back the layers of what you are actually trying to cover up. Yeah, and I love that you said we're, we're, we're hitting this because basically it falls, um, I think, in, in contrast to the kingdom now message. Mm -hmm. Whenever we just said, well, God is just in control. And I was just searching for it, and I found that there's this meme where it's Jesus and this dude on a park bench. And you might have seen this meme. Mm -hmm. I know exactly But the guy is like talking to Jesus, and he said, man, there's something I've been wanting to ask you. Why are there things like famine, famine and war and suffering and disease and crime and homelessness and all of these things, why do they exist in our world today? And Jesus is sitting there and it shows him saying, huh, that's funny. I was about ready to ask you the exact same question. Love it. And oh my gosh, it's like, man, it's such a wake up call. Instead of just being somebody who, if you have the mindset, well, God is just in control of everything. We can just pray and he'll just do it. Mm -hmm. Instead of realizing, no, he's given us dominion. He's given us power and authority in the kingdom to make a difference right where we're at in every situation, you know? And so I think I do want to talk to briefly about, um, one of my go-to verses for, for something like this is Romans eight twenty eight, And I think it's a better, I think answer to when people are going through tough, difficult situations, instead of just saying, well, you know, God's in control to try to bring comfort. Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know therefore that in all things, God works for their good. And so not that God was, you know, bringing about whatever situation we're in, because it didn't say all things that we go through are good. No, it says in all those things, even the bad things we go through, God can come in and he can work and bring about good for whatever we go through, yeah. you know, and, and whether it's pain or sorrow or whatever, he can move and he can, um, he can bring about good. Yeah.
one translation is all things work together for good. It doesn't say all things are good. Mm -hmm. Exactly what you were just saying. And I, I love that because there are things that are not good in our lives. But on the flip side of it, when you get a different perspective and you go through your season of grieving and pain and all that, John 16, 20, I think it says, it says, you will have sorrow. That's a promise. Mm -hmm. But the second half of that verse is, but your sorrow will turn to joy. There's things that you can learn and you can be grateful for the certain experience to a degree because it made you stronger in the end without saying, oh man, that was just God testing me or God doing this, so to speak, over your life. So yeah, that's all we got. That's all we got today. Just stop saying God is in control. Yeah. And start being the hands and feet of Jesus, loving people where you're at, because as always, you're loved and there's nothing you can do about it.